Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. We have a lot of stuff to cover in this episode. I'm recording it on Wednesday, August 21st of 2019. We're going to talk to you about updates on our entry into the Wix competition because I know a lot of people are interested in that. Um, We'll go into a little bit of detail on this idea of having to match scientific consensus if you have a medical site. Um, I'm going to go into greater details later on, but we'll talk a little bit about that in podcast. Um, We'll talk about when to no follow a link. Uh, There's some interesting research on whether winning an FAQ snippet actually increases your traffic or decreases it. Um, And we'll talk about some tips for improving your about page as well. So lots of good things to get through in this episode. Before we get started, I'll just briefly mention that if you are thinking of becoming a newsletter subscriber, this is the time to do it. We're going to be doing some draws from our free subscribers and also our paid subscribers, and you can win some prizes. Paid subscribers, we're actually going to give away a full lifetime subscription to the newsletter. And if you are a free subscriber, you can win uh, a year's subscription. So um, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. Everything that you hear in podcast today is in newsletter, although I often expand on things a little bit differently in podcast. And newsletter usually contains many more things than I have time to talk about in podcast. So um, especially the paid version, there's loads of tips to just help you improve your SEO in ways that are in line with Google's uh, guidelines. And so um, if you've been thinking of subscribing, thank you for listening to that little promotional talk. Uh, We really would appreciate you as a subscriber. So we'll talk about algorithm updates. As I've been saying for the last few weeks, we're no longer going to pick apart every little glitch and and uh, tweak to Google's algorithms. We do think that there were two significant dates in the last couple of weeks that we should be paying attention to. Uh, one is August 12th and also August 18th. I'm suspicious that August 18th was actually a bigger update than um, we initially wrote about. Uh, It seems like Google is tweaking something. We have a lot of clients that saw ups, a few clients that saw decreases uh, with both of these dates. So if August 18th turns out to be something more major, we'll do further investigation into that um, and see if we can figure out what's happening. So right now, all that we need to know about this date is that something changed. My opinion is that almost every algorithm update we have these days is Google just tweaking how they assess EAT and how they value the different aspects of it, whether it's expertise, authoritativeness, and trust. So I don't have anything new to report on what Google is changing or what we think they're changing at this point, but just know that there are continually changes that are happening all the time. Um, I wanted to talk about this really interesting tweet uh, from a Twitter account called Rosie Memos. I'm not sure who this is, but uh, they were tweeting some stuff from Project Veritas. And Project Veritas was talking about uh, this Google document dump. And it's just a bunch of things that, a bunch of files that people have um, talking about how things are working inside of Google. Uh, I'm sure I probably haven't explained uh, Project Veritas properly. I think there's a lot more to it than I'm aware of. But I wanted to talk to you about this really interesting uh, part of the documents. It was uh, basically a bio for Paul Haar. Paul Haar is a Google engineer. Um, He's the head of, uh, I don't know if he's the head of core ranking, um, but he's very, very involved in the core ranking algorithms. And so anytime I hear something about Paul Haar, I want to pay attention because whatever he's working on is probably something that is significant. And if we can sort of, you know, get a little bit of a leg 
dig ahead, uh, that always can help us in figuring out um, how to help websites improve quality. So the thing that was really interesting from this is that for every Google employee that they listed a bio, they also listed what their core mission is. And they said that Paul Har's mission is called, the title of his mission is Less Fringy Search. I thought it was funny when Barry Schwartz reported on this in Search Engine Roundtable, he called it Less Fridgy Search. <laughs> um, Pretty easy to, to see where that uh, confusion came from. But less fringy search. And here's how it's described. It says, fringe ranking, colon, not showing fake news, hate speech, conspiracy theories, or science slash medical slash history denial unless we're sure that's what the user wants. That's really interesting, right? And I think this is connected to what we're seeing happen in medical searches. We're seeing that, especially June 3rd, Google has gone after, um, I don't know if you want to call them fringy, but, uh, or even medical denial sites. Um, but they're sites that potentially contradict scientific consensus. And um, that's really, really important. Uh, and so I'm going to talk about this. If you're a, a paid member of New newsletter. Newsletter this week has um, our early thoughts. It's really mostly my early thoughts on what Google is doing here to try to contradict um, or trying to make it so that sites that contradict scientific consensus have a harder time ranking, unless it's super clear. So if I was purposely trying to find out, um, you know, what types of carrots I can take to cure cancer, uh, it's, it's going to be troublesome for me to find that information on Google. Um, but if Google may, you know, if my searches make it really clear that I'm doing research in this area, perhaps I'm more likely to see that type of thing. But for the most part, what we're finding is that it seems that Google wants to um, be super, super careful in ranking any site that could potentially contradict scientific consensus. I'm not going to say a whole lot more on that in podcast um, because it's written really, really well on the newsletter. And I would really encourage you to, to read that. If you're not a paid subscriber to newsletter, I do promise that I'm going to have a full article out on this in the next few weeks or so. It's a, it's a priority of mine. So stay tuned for that. Um, one of the uh, the things that we're really, really noticing, though, is that um, it's very clear that Google is saying, look, uh, this particular website has pages that talk about things that potentially we can't trust. And so even if the rest of the website has fantastic, really good information, if you have a portion of your website that has pages that Google has trouble trusting, especially in medicine areas, then it can make it so that your entire website has trouble ranking. So we're working as a team at MHC to come up with theories, to come up with things we can test uh, in how we can help websites where, you know, the majority of your content is really, really good. And then you have these sections that talk about uh, things that Google may take issue with. Um, and we're finding some interesting stuff here. So we'll we'll keep you up to date uh, with that. Um, let's see here. Uh, Google made an announcement. Uh, actually, this wasn't a Google announcement. It was something that was tweeted. And then Barry Schwartz wrote about it, uh, about AMP share buttons. So one of the beefs that people have with AMP pages is that in the past, if you were trying to share an AMP link, uh, you would actually be sharing a link to Google's cache. Uh, and that meant that people weren't linking to websites. They were linking to Google. And that's not a good thing. So Google changed that. And they made it so that this is months ago, they 
they made it so that um, every AMP page has this link button where you can see the actual link. Now, that's nice, uh, but what we've actually noticed just recently, um, I think it was Andy Sternberg who uh, pointed this out on Twitter, is that um, that sh- that link button has now been changed to a share button, kind of like what you'd see on YouTube. If you wanted to share a YouTube video, you get a share button. Um, probably not a massive change, but it is a way to make it easier to share AMP pages. I think Google is trying to do everything they can to get us more interested in using AMP pages. Um, and for most websites, I think this is something we should be paying attention to. I've been saying this for a while now. I don't think AMP is going to go away anytime soon. And... Uh, Uh, You know, if AMP is something that's been kind of on your radar, you should be considering it. Um, I think that AMP makes it more likely for you to appear in Google Discover searches. uh, And there can be other areas, too. It's it's not just for news sites. Um, And so that's, uh, you know, if you're thinking about moving to AMP, uh, it's worth looking at uh, whether you should be doing that. There is potentially another issue with Google indexing pages. Um, I don't think this is as big of an issue as it was in the past. We've had this come up several times in the past few months. Uh, A few webmasters had noticed that uh, they were not seeing newly published pages in Google's index at the same rate that they used to see. Um, Danny Sullivan has said, no, everything is fine. (laughs) <laughs> That's the the meme that we used is, is actually a picture of John Mueller just saying, this is fine. <laughs> There's no indexing problems. Forget that we've had indexing problems for the last few months. Um, but apparently there's no current issue. The reason why I'm mentioning this is there's just enough chatter about this that I think there could be something going on. It might not be an issue on Google's side. Who knows? Perhaps they've decided not to index uh, new pages at the speed that they were before. Um, so we're going to keep an eye on that. Uh, I mention it just because uh, if you've noticed that your new pages are struggling to get indexed, this there could be something going on that is affecting that. Um, Bastian Grimm tweeted now that Googlebot is currently now using the latest version of Chrome for rendering. Um, so we've reported recently that uh, Googlebot is supposed to be evergreen. And in the past, it was using an old, old version of Chromium. And the importance of that is that if your website is using fancy scripts and things that Chromium uh, haven't, hasn't caught up to uh, just yet, then it may be that Google has trouble indexing or understanding that content. Um, And so Bastion was using uh, some type of feature, um, uh, promise.all settled. I'm assuming that's a type of uh, a JavaScript type thing. Forgive me for sounding so um, uneducated on this topic. But what he was doing is something that was not available in Chrome 75. And now he can see that it renders fine. Um, And so that means that Google is using Chrome 76, the current version of uh, Chromium. So that's kind of interesting. And um, interesting for those of you who are doing SEO on very sophisticated websites uh, that use a lot of scripts and um, fancy things. So if you are doing that, you want to really be paying close attention to whether Google is actually rendering your pages and actually seeing the content properly on your pages. Um, let's see here. Glenn Gabe tweeted that there's a lot of things and tests going on in the Google SERPs. I'm not going to cover all of them. We've, we've put some of them in newsletter, but, uh, we noticed one of them. Uh, I did an incognito search. I was just looking at our rankings for our Wix site, uh, that we're in this competition for. And I noticed that, um, instead of Google having me click to page two, I had a scroll button for more results. And, uh, and that's a different thing, you know, and that's going to change where 
ads appear. Um, in my search, there were no ads, but that was because it was uh, an incognito search. Um, so things are changing, and I think we need to pay attention to that because, um, you know, that can change your traffic patterns. One of the things Glenn noticed is that they're experimenting with where they put the featured snippets. And, uh, you know, if all of a sudden you're getting loads of traffic, maybe, um, you know, you're in a featured snippet that's appearing more prominently, or maybe you're getting less traffic because, uh, you know, the featured snippets are not being uh, as prominent. So pay attention to those things. Sometimes I think we get really fixed on uh, if there's a traffic drop, we say, oh, Google must have changed the algorithm when sometimes it's just that they changed the search results. Uh, and you may be doing absolutely nothing wrong, but you're actually just getting less traffic because you're not getting prominent um, appearance in the search results. Another thing Glenn noticed is that uh, there are now information, there's information about colleges in the Google search results. Um, and so, uh, Google produced a blog post that said, we're expanding our college search features to include two-year colleges and popular, popular certificate and associate programs available at four-year institutions. This is really important if you're a website. Uh, I know we've worked with websites in the past that are um, affiliate websites that uh, help people to choose what colleges they're going to, to, to go to. Um, and these colleges have often very large affiliate programs. There can be really good money in uh, helping people decide which college to go to. Um, and I think Google's going to grab a portion of that revenue. So without sounding terribly alarmist, if you if your business model is affiliate and start thinking, you know, could Google do something to take my affiliate revenue away? Uh, and if that's the case, I think you need to start talking about, you know, maybe we should be doing more social stuff or maybe we should find a way to diversify so that we're not relying 100% on Google organic traffic because uh, I think these things are just going to continue. Google wants to make it so that, um, you know, people find all their answers within Google. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with voice search so that, you know, right now, um, I don't use my Google Home a lot to do just basic voice searches because it's not great. Uh, but as Google gets better at um, surfacing information right in their SERPs, then uh, voice search is going to improve as well. And that's a mandate for them. So we definitely need to be paying attention to this type of thing. Let's talk a little bit about no following. So there was some discussion on Twitter recently where somebody was asking, uh, there's a link and it's affiliate, uh, should I no follow that link? I'm just going to take a step back because I know that we have some people who are listening to the podcast who are new uh, to SEO. Um, and so I just want to sort of outline what nofollow is. Um, so nofollow, uh, I can't remember exactly when it came into Google's algorithms. It's relatively new though. Like I want to say maybe nine or 10 years ago. Maybe that's not that new, but um, I do remember when uh, this was a big deal that Google announced this no follow thing. And the whole idea is that every link that Google finds in their index passes signals to Google. So if the New York Times links to me and if they use anchor text that calls me uh, an SEO expert, that can improve my rankings uh, for the word SEO expert. Um, and we know that signals get passed through those links. 
Um, similarly, negative signals can get passed through links. So if um, uh, John Mueller's confirmed that Google has algorithms that determine, uh, oh, there's a lot of links pointing to this site that we feel we can't trust. And so maybe we'll put less trust in your entire link profile overall. Um, and when that happens, uh, that's, that's a negative signal that can get passed through links. So when links are no followed, it simply means that there are no signals passing through those links. They can't help your ranking. They can't hurt your ranking. Now, I know some people would argue with me. And actually, we had somebody on Twitter who was talking about some links that Wix was doing, uh, pointing to these two contents um, uh, uh, entrants. And they felt it was unfair because the link... Uh, that was pointing to our website had text near the link that contained the words we wanted to rank for. The thing is, the link is no followed. Um, so as far as I understand it, that means that there's no signals that are being passed through that link. Um, whether you believe that text surrounding the anchor text is a, a ranking factor, I think it can be. Um, it shouldn't matter when a link is no followed. So with that in mind, when should you no follow links? Personally, I think there are only four reasons to no follow a link. So Google has um, guidelines on this and uh, their guidelines actually give us three reasons. One is if you don't trust the content on the site you're linking to. That's really interesting, right? Um, so if I was writing uh, uh, something and I was saying, you know, talking an example about adult queries um, and how, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to link to this website um, or you wouldn't want to get a link from this website or something like that. Uh, and I actually wanted to mention an adult website uh, that I didn't really trust that well, then I might link to it with a no followed link. I find this really interesting because that brings up the discussion as to whether our outbound links speak to quality. If Google doesn't want us linking with followed links to untrustworthy areas, then are they looking at whether they can trust our outbound links? Possibly. I think it's a, a possibility. The second reason Google says to no follow a link is if it's a paid link. And this is what John was saying when asked about affiliate links. If there's any money uh, involved. So what John said to answer the question, he said, yep, no follow is good for any link that's there because of monetary reasons. Um, and so whether you're uh, doing affiliate links, whether it's a paid link, um, you know, whether somebody is like, hey, can I um, sponsor your, you know, your post and you can link to me uh, in return, those in, according to Google's guidelines, should be no followed links. They should not impact your rankings. Um, the third reason that Google lists in their blog post is for crawl priority. So if you had an entire section of your site um, that you did not want indexed, you don't want Google crawling it, well, there's no reason in linking to that section with followed links. Uh, and so you can um, sort of uh, have more control over which parts of your site Google visit is, visits by uh, determining, you know, uh, which links are followed and which are no followed. The last type of no followed link that I'll add in there that's not in Google's documentation is if you're linking to a competitor. Um, I think that that happens. Uh, you know, if I was writing something... Um, Oh, I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, if I if I was writing uh, an article and I was mentioning a competitor, uh, I don't really want to give them a link to help improve their rankings. Um, so uh, I would probably link to them with a no-followed link. 
So I think that we're spending a lot of time, you know, talking about should a link be followed? Should it be no followed? Really, if you just follow those four rules, it's pretty straightforward. Um, and so if you're debating on whether you should be putting a no followed link on your website, if it doesn't fit into one of those four categories, I would say it probably should be a followed link. That said, um, if you disagree with me, maybe tweet at me, Marie underscore Haynes, uh, or you can, uh, yeah, that, that would be a good thing because I, I'm, I'm open to discussion on this. So um, I think there's just a lot of confusion about no following and, um, you know, it's okay to have followed links. It's okay in a lot of situations. So we'll move on <laughs> from that topic. This was a really cool tweet from Cyrus Shepard. Uh, and he actually quoted a study by Distilled. Uh, does weeching, <laughs> winning FAQ snippets improve or lower click-through rates? So there's been uh, a lot of discussion on this. FAQ is, um, you know, another type of schema that you can add to your website and it can make uh, things appear in Google search results as frequently asked questions with links that point to your website. So what some people have a concern over is if all of the answers are in the Google search result, why would anybody ever want to click to my website? I think this is very situational and this is one of those things where we can definitely say it depends. If you win the featured snippet for um, FAQs, you might end up answering everybody's questions and see fewer clicks. In this study that uh, Distilled did, um, they actually showed that for uh, commercial pages, they when they won the FAQ snippets, they had increases in traffic anywhere from 3 to 8%. Not a crazy number, but still, I think that's significant, especially when they're links to commercial pages. Um, this is something where if you're thinking of implementing FAQ schema, start testing test things, add it on just a few pages and see, does the click-through rate, you can see that in Search Console, does the click-through rate improve on those pages? Are there certain pages that maybe it improves and what can we see? You know, maybe we can write them in different ways that encourage people to actually click through to the, the website. Um, quite an interesting study. I think that in most cases, it makes sense to try to win featured snippets because let's say you win it and traffic goes down. It's not like if you didn't win it, you'd still retain that organic ranking. Like somebody's going to come in and win it. And so they're going to take the traffic anyways. So I think we all should be paying attention to this. There was an interesting, and to me, it seemed kind of random tweet from the Google Webmasters account. And they said, uh, I'm going to read this whole tweet thing. It's about subdomains um, on your own site. Uh, so here's what Google said. We've been asked if third parties can host content in subdomains or subfolders of another's domain. It's not against our guidelines, but as the practice has grown, our systems are being improved to better know when such content is independent of the main site and treated accordingly. They go on to tweet again, overall, we'd recommend against letting others use subdomains or subfolders with content presented as if it was part of the main site without close supervision or the involvement of the primary site. Our guidance is if you want the best success with search, provide value added content from your own efforts that reflect your own brand. So I feel like I'm a bit out of the loop in this story, but from what I understand, um, this is sort of a thing where like, let's say I had a super highly authoritative website. 
I could rent out a subdomain. And, um, you know, you could uh, rent out example.mariehaines.com um, and the authority that's on our website uh, could potentially trickle into your website. And I could see, I mean, for mariehaines.com, we have some authority, but it's not a massive brand at this point. Um, and so uh, other websites, though, I could see that being a big deal. Many years ago, uh, I think we were talking about disavowing or something, uh, John Mueller pointed out how um, sites that do this like WordPress, uh, so for example, WordPress, it gets a bit confusing because WordPress, you can have your own standalone uh, WordPress site, or you can host a site on WordPress.org, I think it is. Um, and so if I host, you know, mariehaines.wordpress.org, I could create a whole website on that. And in the past, I could actually benefit from the massive brand authority that wordpress.org has. Um, wordpress.org has tons of links pointing to it. And so just having that subdomain on that website uh, would give me an instant boost in terms of ranking ability. And what John Mueller mentioned many years ago was that Google's getting better at determining that um, subdomains on WordPress are really not, the authority from WordPress should not transfer over to those subdomains. Um, where it becomes tricky is like if we had a shop and we had shop.mariehaines.com. Well, that's very clearly a part of our website and all of the authority from mariehaines.com should transfer to, you know, should be attributable to that subdomain. So, um, I actually have not seen this in practice a lot. I know some of you have pointed it out to me. Uh, and uh, so, you know, it sounds just not really black hat. Like Google said, it's not against their guidelines. But if you are ranking sites based on this thing, you know, on having subdomains on an authoritative domain, you might find that that doesn't work as much anymore. Um, another thing about uh, disavowing, somebody asked John Mueller whether you should disavow foreign language links. And uh, I think most of you know the answer to this. He said, just because, because a website is not in English doesn't mean that it's spam or that links from it are bad. Um, and so it's rare that we would disavow links just because they're foreign language. The exception is if we saw, like, let's say we saw a site that was getting all sorts of spammy links um, and they were, uh, I don't know, Russian spammy links uh, with Russian characters, uh, then we might just say, look, this site doesn't tend to get uh, links from Russian websites. And so we're just going to go ahead and disavow all of the Russian ones because it saves us time rather than, you know, sorting through and figuring out, oh, this one's spam. Oh, this one could be a legitimate mention. We might uh, just go ahead and say, you look, if we recognize it's got Russian uh, characters, then we'll just disavow that. Um, but I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say now everybody's got to disavow links from Russian websites, right? Um, the whole point of disavowing is to find links that break Google's guidelines that are there with the intention of improving your rankings. And uh, and when you disavow links like that, if you have a history of trying to manipulate Google, uh, that can be very, very helpful in our experience. I keep saying this, I want to write an article on our experiences with disavowing lately, um, but it's, uh, unfortunately, there's just too many other articles that I need to write before that, but we will get there at some point and uh, I'll have more information for you on that topic. Um, this was interesting stuff that came from a uh, Google Help Hangout recently on medical authorship. Uh, so somebody was asked, what's, or somebody asked John Mueller in a help hangout, what's the best way to tell Google that my content has been reviewed by doctors and should I be doing this at all? 
Um, and so let's take a step back again. If you have a medical website, we've talked in the past about how important it is for EAT to have content that's either written by a physician or somebody with really good real life experience in this topic or to have it medically fact-checked by uh, somebody who's got those skills. Um, and so I'm just going to read from for you what John said. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I think rather than me trying to uh, paraphrase it, it would be more accurate for me to read it. Um, he says, I think that's something that you probably have answered already in that if you're providing information on your web page and it's kind of checked or written created by someone who has a lot of knowledge on that topic, then that's something I would definitely highlight. So there are lots of ways that you can highlight that on your web pages. You can link to those profiles. You can put text on the pages. Anything to really show users when they come to your pages that there's actually something valuable here that they could trust this information. Um, that this is something reliable that they can forward on to their friends without having to worry that maybe it's not correct or so. And he finishes with, in that regard, anything that you can do to make it more clear, that probably makes sense for users. That's something you can also check with normal A-B testing. And that probably also makes sense for search engines in that regard as well. So um, we've said in the past that if something's in Google's quality raters guidelines, we really believe that either Google is already measuring that or they want to measure it. And the quality raters guidelines talk all over the place about being able to recognize whether a medical article is written by somebody with medical expertise. So we really like uh, this confirmation from John that it's good, not just for search engines, but also for users um, to, to provide as much information as you can to say, hey, this post that you just read, you're trying to make this really hard decision on whether or not to go on this medication or something like this, you can trust this information because the person who wrote this post has this experience. They've been recognized as an expert um, from these other experts. Anything you can do to um, promote the EAT is good for search engines or good for Google, I should say, and also good for users, which means it can be good to drive more business and more trust in your business as well. Um, again, moving on, we have so many really good tips here, and I've cut a lot out of podcasts. So again, I'd really encourage you to to read newsletter. Um, somebody asked, I think this is, yes, in a help hangout, uh, in Search Console, when you see pages that are marked as discovered but not indexed, do those hurt your crawl budget? Now, crawl budget, most of us don't need to worry about. Uh, if you have millions and millions of pages on your website, then you should worry a little bit about crawl budget. Crawl budget is basically you want Google to focus on, um, you know, they only have a certain budget for your website on how many pages they'll crawl. And if Google is spending all their time crawling low quality pages, then that, you know, we have theories that that could potentially hurt your um, assessment of quality by Google. So this was an interesting answer by John, and he basically said that, um, here's what he said, when we exclude a page for any particular reason, that could be because maybe it has a no index tag on it, it could be because we have um, a duplicate URL and we've picked up a different canonical, then what usually happens there is we crawl these pages a lot less frequently. So what John's saying is, if there are a bunch of pages on your site that Google has identified as discovered but not indexed, even if, if they're not indexed because they're low quality, Google will crawl those initially, and then they'll actually put them in the list of like, oh, these are lower quality pages. 
and they crawl them less. So if Google has a certain crawl budget, so let's say there's, I'm totally making these numbers up, but let's say today they want to crawl a thousand pages of your site and you've got 400 pages that are low quality and 600 that are high quality. Well, they're going to focus the first, you know, 600 on those high quality pages and um, whatever's left they'll put into the low quality uh, pages, something like that. Um, and so the idea is we don't really have to worry uh, in terms of crawl budget for these. That said, if you're seeing a ton of pages that are in discovered but not indexed and they're not indexed, uh, they, you want them to be indexed. So it's not that you have a no index tag on them. It's not that like they're duplicates of some other page um, and you know you purposely wanted them to be uh, published then there's a problem. And if you see uh, lots of low quality pages in there, that could potentially assess, uh, affect Google's assessment of quality for your site. So you still want to pay attention to those. But in terms of crawl budget, you shouldn't have to worry about them. And again, most sites really don't need to worry about crawl budget. Wanted to mention briefly that Google announced today that their lightweight Go search app is live as of uh, today, August 21st. Um, this was something that was just in countries, uh, I think it was in India and a few other countries where uh, internet speed can be an issue. And um, what uh, now it's available on the Play Store for everybody. Um, and what happens is uh, you can do things like uh, read pages out loud um, and do voice searches with using very little data. So I wanted to mention this because this ties in with AMP pages. I would imagine that, uh, I don't know this for sure, but I would imagine that um, you know this, this app may prefer lightning fast pages. I do think it does, uh, it actually does things where it'll load the pages fast and like leave out the images or parts that are slowing down the load. Uh, but it makes more sense for you to use an AMP page where you can control what users are seeing. Um, let's see, we'll talk. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And this was really good. There was, um, uh, a really good thread on the local search forum. Um, tips on improving your homepage, contact us, and about pages. Uh, I'm just going to read the highlights that we put in our newsletter uh, because these are some good tips here. Um, first of all, why should we pay attention to about pages? Uh, we really think, I mean, the quality raters are told to look at that information to determine whether uh, a business is seen as authoritative, whether you would trust this business. And we do think that Google looks at the information on your about pages to figure out who is your team? And uh, do you have the expertise to write on the topics you're writing on? So, um, you know, here's some of the things from this thread. One is be sure to include all of your qualifications on your about page. And that can be hard. It's very hard to brag about yourself and be like, I'm so awesome because I mentioned here and I did this, but that can help customers uh, to trust you more. Um, make sure you have the right information on your contact pages. The quality raters guidelines actually talk about the importance of being able to find contact information. I would uh, also encourage you to make sure that the links to your contact pages are followed because if Google's algorithms are trying to determine that you have um, good contact information, you want them to follow those links. Um, and there's a few other things uh, in this list. If you want to go to uh, to newsletter, you can um, jump in and get the rest of that. Uh, I want to finish off here with one question for q and A. I I wanted to apologize. I've been saying for the last few weeks, if you wanted to ask me a question, you can find a form in newsletter and somehow we dropped that form. So it's back now. Uh, I'm recording... Uh, 
gosh, this is episode 97. And so if you want to find episode 97, search news you can use, uh, you'll find a form there or a link to a form at least where you can ask a question for Q&A. And, um, and then hopefully I can answer your question on podcast. Uh, so I'm going to take a question that came to me on Twitter. Uh, Michelle Kubot asked me, asked me this question. Um, does it help to have a references section at the bottom of an article if you already used external links throughout? Um, and does it matter if you only link versus putting the source name in the article? So I'll tell you, I don't know the exact answer to this. Um, what I think Michelle is referencing is if you have a medical article uh, and really any article that has things that you can back up with scientific references, you should put as many scientific references there in there as you can. Um, again, this can establish trust for your site. It can um, help to, uh, you know, maintain your credibility uh, that if you are writing on scientific topics and you don't actually reference any scientific studies, why would Google, why would users want to trust you? The question though is how to present that and we don't know. So here's some tips that I would give. First of all, have actual users read through your content and say, hey, if you wanted to check any of the sources for this article, do you feel you could do that? Um, and if users are, you know, because sometimes I see people use these weird, like, superscripts uh, in the text, and you can't click on the superscript, and so you got to scroll down, uh, and, and then, you know, it's really challenging. So you want to make it so that if a user wants to check the sources, it's very easy for them to do that. The next thing you want to do is make sure that Google can see that you've referenced things and that it's important. We see a lot of people that put their references at the end of a document, which is totally fine, and they'll put them behind a tab that says click to see the references. Personally, I believe that's telling Google that this is a lower important part of the page. I don't know if that made sense. The, that part of the page is of lower importance than the rest. If something's hidden behind tabs, uh, you know, Google may not see it. And so I would prefer to see it not hidden behind tabs. Um, I think there's no problem with including uh, both an in-article reference and then also a link in the, a lower section for references. Um, and mainly because we don't know. We don't know if Google has an algorithm that looks for a section on references or if they're following links. Um, and the final thing I want to mention on this is we've seen some sites that are using some kind of fancy JavaScript for pop-ups, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but you want to be sure that Google is reading this uh, text in the JavaScript. So let's say you have kind of a tool tip that pops up and you, you know, in the, in the pop-up it says, we've seen some sites say like, this information has been fact-checked, here's our references, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then what you can do is actually take the text from that tooltip, search for it in quotes on Google, and see if Google's actually um, recognizing that this content is on your page. Uh, and if they're not, it might be that Google's not finding this or that they're treating it as lower importance. And so I would tweak how you're using JavaScript or find a way to display it without JavaScript. Um, maybe use both. Put the references at the end of the article and also in these pop-ups as well. So um, hopefully that answers that question. 
All right. So I promised that I would give you an update. Uh, we're just about at the end here, but an update on our Wix competition. I'm going to try to do this every week. Um, we're currently winning. Uh, I see us at uh, the top of page four. Um, for those who are new to the podcast, uh, we are in a competition where our uh, company, MHC, is trying to rank this website, WixSEOLovers.com. And uh, we're competing against the WixSEOHaters.com. And whoever ranks um, highest for the term Wix SEO by, uh, there's a date in December, wins some money. Um, and so right now we're a couple pages ahead. And um, uh, I thought it would be interesting to share with you what we're doing. So our first attack has been to just create content. And uh, this has been great because my team is writing all of the content and they're learning a ton of stuff in the process. And the content on this site is fantastic. We have pages like uh, how to understand canonicals. um, And it's in regards to a Wix site. But even if you're not, uh, you know, if you're new to SEO, even if you're not writing a Wix site, there's good information that you can find on this page. And now what we're doing is just talking about uh, drumming up some press. We have some press releases that we've put out. We've contacted some local reporters. And uh, we're going to see what we can do in order to get some press to this site. And... Um, and then we're also adding some links from our own websites. And this has stirred up a little bit of controversy. Uh, one of my employees, Alec, has a fantastic website, mapleleafshotstove.com. He uh, writes about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, if you're not a Leafs fan, there's still time for you to change. So you can read this fantastic website and love it as much as I do. So Alec put a link on his website in his bio. Uh, and it basically said, you know, in my other job, uh, in my daytime job, when I work for Marie Haynes Consulting, I'm in charge of running our uh, Wix SEO competition. And he linked to the or our Wix SEO entry, he linked to our Wix SEO site. Some people said, well, that's an unnatural link. It's keyword anchored. It comes from your own site. And uh, I actually found a quote from John Mueller in a help hangout a couple years ago where somebody asked him, is it okay to link from from within your own websites, your own blog, uh, to a commercial site that you run? And John's advice was basically, as long as you're not doing it on a massive scale, it makes sense. You know, Alec is uh, recommending this website. He works for this website. He, you know, it's one website. Now, I think where some people had issue is because uh, because Alec has written thousands of posts on his website, his author bio produced thousands of keyword anchored links pointing back to the Wix website. Um, we've since changed that and not because we think it's unnatural, but just because we know that other people looking at our link profile are going to notice that it's uh, or going to think that it's unnatural. Um, and so uh, I think now he's got a link from his about page. Uh, on his Maple Leaf site, uh, just talking about his work that he's doing in the Wix competition, because he's proud of that. So, um, you know, we're starting with that. And uh, I realize in me telling you this, uh, Liquid Interactive, you can listen to my podcast and get some tips on how to improve your rankings. So we'll see. This is a good competition. I'm, I'm, I'm up for, uh, we've, we've been sort of jiving at each other on Twitter a little bit too. So um, I think we, we started a, a Twitter handle for Wix SEO lovers. And if you want to follow that, then um, 
That would be cool. I should say uh, another page on the Wix SEO lovers site that we created was a whole bunch of Googler gifts. And if you are trying to find a gift to a Googler, then it's on that page. Um, and if you're trying to find an excuse to link to us, then uh, feel free to link to that page. It's a really good resource. So um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, once again, I'm just reminding you that we have this contest if you're thinking of signing up as a paid um, newsletter subscriber. If you're interested in a site review. Our current wait list is around six to eight weeks. We do have urgency options available though uh, if you wanted to pay more to have my team work on it um, in overtime basically. And uh, we do have availability right now for link audits. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can reach out at help at mariehaines.com and my team will get you set up. So thanks again for listening. Uh, I really enjoy just blabbing on about SEO and it fascinates me that people like you like to listen to me. Um, so I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic week and wish you the best of luck with your rankings. <laughs>